Volume two, chapter three of Gwen Wynne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Gwen Wynne, A Romance of the Why by Maine Reed. Volume two, chapter three. A Suspicious Waif. On returning homeward, the young waterman bethinks him of a difficulty, a little matter to be settled with his mother. Not having gone to the shop, he has neither whipcord nor pitch to show. If questioned about these commodities, what answer is he to make? He dislikes telling her another lie. It came easy enough before the interview with his sweetheart, but now it is not so much worth while. On reflection, he thinks it will be better to make a clean breast of it. He has already half confessed and may as well admit his mother to full confidence about the secret he has been trying to keep from her unsuccessfully as he now knows while still undetermined a circumstance occurs to hinder him from longer withholding it whether he would or not in his abstraction he has forgotten all about the moon now up and at intervals shining brightly during one of these he has arrived at his own gate as he opens it seeing his mother on the doorstep her attitude shows she has already seen him and observed the direction whence he has come the words declare the same. Why, Jack, she exclaims in feigned astonishment, you be not a comin' from the ferry that way. The interrogatory, or rather the tone in which it is put, tells him the cat is out of the bag. No use attempting to stuff the animal in again, and seeing it is not, he rejoins laughingly, Well, mother, to speak the truth, I ain't been to the ferry at all, and I must ask you to forgive me for practising a trifle of deception on ye that bout the Mary wanting repairs. I suspected it, lad, and that it was a t other Mary as wanted something, or you wanted something with her. Since you spoke repentful and confessed, I ain't a going to worry to you about it. I'm glad the boat be all right, as I had got good news for you. What he asks, rejoiced at being so easily let off. Well, you spoke truth when you said there was no knowin' but that somebody might be wantin' to hire you any minute. There's been one already. Who? Not the captain? No, not him, but a grand livery chap, footman or coachman. I ain't sure which. Only that he came fra a Squire Powell's about a mile back. Oh, I know Squire Powell. Him a new hall, I suppose it be. What did the servant say? That if you wasn't engaged, his young master wants you to take yourself and some friends that be staying with him for a row down the river. How far did the man say? If they be bound to Chepstow or even but Tintern, I don't think I could go unless they start Monday morning. I'm gauged to the captain for Thursday, you know, and if I went the long trip, there'd be all the bother o' getting the boat back and bare time. Monday? Why, it's the morrow they want ye. Sunday? That's queerish too. Squire Powell's family be a sort of strict religious, I've heard. That's just it. The livery chap said it be a church they're going to, some curious kind of old worshipping place that lie in a bend of the river where carriages had difficulty in getting to it. I think I know the one, and can take them there well enough. What answer did you give to the man? That you could take him and would. I know you'd hadn't any other bespeak, and since it were to a church, wouldn't mind its being Sunday. Certainly not. Why should I? asked Jack, who is anything but a Sabbatarian. Where do they wish the boat to be took, or am I to wait for him here? 
Yes, the man spoke of them coming here, and at a very early hour, six o'clock. He said the clergyman be a friend of the family, and there to have their breakfast with him before going to church. All right, I'll be ready for him. Comes as early as they may. In that case, my son, you better get to your bed at once. You've had a hard day of it and need rest. Should you like to take a drop of something before you lie down? Well, mother, I don't mind. Just a glass of your elderberry. She opens the cupboard, brings forth a black bottle, and fills him a tumbler of the dark red wine, homemade and by her own hands. Quaffing it, he observes, It'd be the best stuff I know of to put spirit into a man, and makes him feel cheery. I've heard the captain himself say it beats their Spanish port all to pieces. Though somewhat astray in his commercial geography, the young waterman, as his patron, is right about the quality of the beverage, for elderberry wine, made in the correct way, is superior to that of a porto. Curious scientific fact, I believe not generally known, that the soil where grows the Sambucus is that most favourable to the growth of the grape. Without going thus deeply into the philosophy of the subject, or at all troubling himself about it, the boatman soon gets to the bottom of his glass, and bidding his mother good-night, retires to his sleeping-room. Getting into bed, he lies for a while sweetly thinking of Mary Morgan, and that satisfactory interview under the elm, then goes to sleep as sweetly to dream of her. There is just a streak of daylight stealing in through the window as he awakes, enough to warn him that it is time to be up and stirring. Up he instantly is, and arrays himself, not in his everyday boating habiliments, but a suit worn only on Sundays and holidays. The mother, also astir betimes, has his breakfast on the table soon as he is rigged, and just as he finishes eating it, the rattle of wheels on the road in front with voices tells him his fare has arrived. Hastening out, he sees a grand carriage drawn up at the gate, double-horsed with coachman and footman on the box. Inside, young Mr. Powell, his pretty sister and two others, a lady and gentleman, also young. Soon they are all seated in the boat, the coachman having been ordered to take the carriage home and bring it back at a certain hour. The footman goes with them, the Mary having seats for six. Road downstream, the young people converse among themselves, gaily now and then giving way to laughter, as though it were any other day than Sunday. But their boatman is merry also, with memories of the preceding night, and though not called upon to take part in their conversation, he likes listening to it. Above all, he is pleased with the appearance of Miss Powell, a very beautiful girl, and takes note of the attention paid her by the gentleman who sits opposite. Jack is rather interested in observing these, as they remind him of his own first approaches to Mary Morgan. His eyes, though, are for a time removed from them, while the boat is passing Abigan. Out of the farmhouse chimneys, just visible over the tops of the trees, he sees smoke ascending. It is not yet seven o'clock, but the Morgans are early risers, and by this mother and daughter will be on their way to Martin's, and possibly confession at the Rugs Ferry Chapel. He dislikes to reflect on the last, and longs for the day when he has hopes to cure his sweetheart of such a repulsive devotional practice. Pulling on down, he ceases to think of it, and of her for the time, his attention being engrossed by the management of the boat. For just below Abergann, the stream runs sharply, and is given to caprices, but further on it once more flows in gentle tide along the meadowlands of Langoran. Before turning the bend where Gwen Wynne and Eleanor Lees were caught in the rapid current, at the estuary of a sluggish inflowing brook whose waters are now beaten back by the flooded river, 
he sees what causes him to start and hang on the stroke of his oar what is it wingate asked young powell observing his strange behaviour oh a waif that plank floating yonder i suppose you'd like to pick it up but remember it's sunday and we must confine ourselves to works of necessity and mercy little think the four who smile at this remark five with the footman what a weird painful impression the sight of that drifting thing has made on the sixth who is rowing them nor does it leave him all that day but clings to him in the church to which he goes at the rectory where he is entertained and while rowing back up the river hangs heavy on his heart as lead returning he looks out for the piece of timber but cannot see it for it is now after night the young people having stayed dinner with their friend the clergyman kept later than they intended on arrival at the boat-stock they do not remain there an instant but getting into the carriage which has been some time awaiting them are whirled off to newhall impatient are they to be home far more for a different reason the waterman who but stays to tie the boat's painter and leaving the oars in her thwarts hastens into his house the plank is still uppermost in his thoughts the presentiment heavy on his heart not lighter as on entering at the door he sees his mother seated with her head bowed down to her knees he does not wait for her to speak but asks excitedly what's the matter mother the question is mechanical he almost anticipates the answer or its nature oh my son my son as i told ye it was the canwill cough end of volume two chapter three